Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. We gather together every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., both online and in person. Online, you can follow us at Faith on Hill on Instagram and social media. Our audio podcasts are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You just have to search Faith on Hill. You can also find those podcasts at our website, faithonhill.com, and video versions are live streamed on Sunday mornings at our website and are always available on our Facebook and YouTube. Now, uh, it is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the dads, granddads, uh, biological fathers, spiritual fathers. We are grateful for you. Father's Day um, is an interesting one in our family. My wife's dad died when she was two. So Father's Day was a very inconsequential uh, event. And I think uh, that's part of the reason why she always makes sure that my dad uh, gets sort of a, a, you know, a special something uh, sent up to him. Um, And we often joke in the family that of of all his children, uh, he likes his daughter-in-law the best, you know. (laughs) And uh, um, I don't know that that's true, but I definitely know that, um, you know, these things matter when you realize what you don't have. And my, uh, my, my, my dad, my, my dad, Jim died when I was in middle school. And then my, my mom married a wonderful godly man, uh, who I am incredibly thankful. And I do not call my stepdad. I call my dad and I'm so thankful for him and the spiritual fathers that God put into my life as well along the way. Uh, most of them you've never met, but they shaped and forged me. And I am so thankful for them. So if you're a dad, a granddad, a biological father, a spiritual father, you're just being there for somebody. We appreciate you. We honor you. We recognize you. Uh, I don't do Father's Day or Mother's Day sermons. In fact, we just stick to teaching the Bible. Um, I was, <laughs> usually doesn't, is not a big deal. Uh, I did preach on the Mark of the Beast for Mother's Day. Um, and today we're going to talk about the Battle of Armageddon a little bit more. So we'll see how that goes. If you have a Bible, Turn in your Bible to chapter 19 of the book of the Revelation. Revelation chapter 19. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again, they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. This is a side point. But you know what's interesting to me is that um, a lot of times churches aren't divided along theological lines as much as they are along stylistic lines. There are very stoic churches and very emotional churches, uh, very intellectual, cerebral kind of churches and very emotionally driven services. And, and usually the theology is sort of 
built up to match that stylistic preference. One of the things that's interesting to me is when we read in, say, chapters 4 and 5 about heaven and worship, it says at the beginning of chapter 6 and of chapter 5 that there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Revelation 4 and 5 describe great order and purpose and control. We might even call it liturgy in the worship of God in heaven. And people who are from a more traditional background, maybe you know, an Anglican or a Lutheran or a Presbyterian background, oh, they find comfort there. This is, this is very safe and scheduled and silent at points, contemplative, wonderful. And yet, there are living creatures covered in eyes. And here in chapter 19, in the same heavenly realms, they are shouting and roaring and yelling and all of the charismatics and Pentecostals and people kind of grew up in that sort of expression are like, yes, I know what to do now. And they are whooping and hollering and having a big old time. And all the Lutherans and Anglicans and you know Presbyterians are getting super uncomfortable. None of this fits totally any one version of how to do church how to worship God, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, I don't believe that any one church has the corner on any of these things. Uh, God is gracious to us and allows different expressions of his church uh, in ways that connect with different people, and I'm grateful for that as well. It says then in verse 4 that the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne and they cried, Amen. So they're agreeing with the first declaration. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you servants who fear him, both great and small. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. So this is what's referred to as the threefold hallelujah. Uh, there is the voices of the multitude in heaven. There is the voices of the four living creatures and the 24 elders. And then again, the, the voices of the multitude cry out. So one, two, three hallelujahs. And what they are doing is they are making a proclamation of an invitation. They are making a proclamation of an invitation. They are saying salvation and power belong to the true judge. They're proclaiming Jesus' victory, Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' place and prominence and his power. Any true believer, any person who has a saving faith, any person who has a healthy faith in Jesus will read these words and rejoice because we know the goodness of God. We know the truth of Jesus. We know the power of the Holy Spirit. We know that what is going on presently in this age is not working. And it's not just not working, but it's totally backwards and broken and destructive. We see the brokenness in families. We see the brokenness in homes. We see the brokenness in neighborhoods and communities. We see the brokenness in government and civic authority. And here comes the true and right and just, incorruptible Father, friend, king, priest, judge. Praise the Lord. Verse 5, they give praise to God. Why? 
all of us, all his servants, great and small, we are invited to give praise to God. There's a lot of different ways, like I was saying earlier, to worship God. You can worship God through prayer, quiet and silent and loud and, and you know, in front of everybody in private places. We can worship God. We can worship God through uh, physical acts of strength. There are ways, I believe, to do justice. We talked a few weeks ago about how one of the judgments against the earth was against those who failed to do justice. And so in our small groups, uh, we had a conversation. Because what we do in our small groups is we have these questions uh, that are given out in the notes. And then we, we meet together. Uh, we have an online small group. We have in-person small groups. And we meet together and we talk over the questions so that we can go deeper into the sermon. And so what we did is we said, hey, the Bible was talking this Sunday. This is a few Sundays ago. The Bible was talking about doing justice. And there was judgment against those who were corrupt, who took bribes, who did not seek out justice. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus talked about those who took from the widow and the orphan, took from the marginalized, the at-risk, uh, the the Old Testament law was full of protections for the widow, the orphan, the refugee, those who were at risk, those who were marginalized. And here in Revelation, God is bringing judgment to them. And so we talked through that. What does that mean to bring justice? And in, in doing justice, we can worship God. We can worship God through singing. It has always been a primary way of humanity to worship. We worship humanity. It worships in a songful way. Uh, we, on our uh, Starting Points podcast, uh, we just have an episode coming out about the Psalms. And, and these ancient lyrics of worship and praise, uh, this has been a t- thing from ancient times. And people say, oh, people don't do that anymore. Really? Have you ever been, have you ever been to a soccer or European football match? I have. They sing. They sing together. It's actually very similar to the Psalms and going to the temple, except they go to the football stadium and they, they come in singing. Uh, my, my brother is a big Sounders fan. I am not. It's funny. I love all Seattle sports except the Sounders, and I hated the Sounders when I lived in Seattle. So when I moved to Portland, it was very easy to embrace Timbers Nation. Like, I was all about it. Um, but my brother actually at one point was featured on the very front page of the Sounders website because they have like a parade that comes into the stadium before every match. And he was there at the front of the parade. And I'm not saying he was worshiping the Sounders or anything. He was just having fun. But you get what I'm saying. People worship through prayer. People worship through acts of strength. People worship through song. People worship through giving. People worship through uh, action, inaction, whatever, we give praise and honor. And there is an invitation to us to join in this worship. And so that's why Sunday mornings we gather together. We submit ourselves to the word of God. We pray, we sing, we give. We're in community with each other. We look, how do we go out in this week and and be the hands and the feet of Jesus in the world around us? What can we do that brings about some form of declaring the praises of God? And then in verse 6, first they give praise because power belongs to the true judge. And then in verse 5, they, give, they invite everybody to come along and praise. And then in verse 6, in verse 6 it says, Then I heard the multitude, and they said, Hallelujah, because God reigns. They're praising God for just who he is. By his very nature, he is creator, he is master, he is Lord. And this proclamation of who God is and what he has done is an invitation. Come on in and praise him too. Verse 5. And what are we being invited 
too, as we are being welcomed in, as we are being gathered in. The invitation is to be delivered. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. It says in verse 7, For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are true, the true words of God. And at this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I am your fellow servant, and with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold the testimony of Jesus, worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. What's going on there? Well, there's all this praise, there's all this worship, and then this angel shows up, and whenever angels show up in the Bible, people fall down frightened. And it is not the first time that somebody has fell down to worship an angelic being and an angel says, don't do that. One of the reasons I believe this angel is so adamant is because the demonic uh, forces, those fallen angels that fell with the devil, we read about them several weeks ago in earlier chapters in the book of Revelation. But those who went with the devil, I believe, seek praise and glory and worship. And this angel says, that's not what I am about. I am about the true and the living God and do not do this thing. One of the things that can happen is as we are about the business of God, as the glory of God is reflecting in our life, as the love of God is pushing through our lives, there will always be the temptation to take the praise and the glory and the power. See that we do not do that. We are just servants of God. We are just people who are lucky and fortunate and blessed with grace and mercy to be called the friends of God because of what Jesus has done. It says a wedding is taking place between Christ and the church collectively. I will say this. The American or Western Protestant church has had a real hard time with this idea of collective. And we've talked about this in the past. There we have an individual faith. No one can be saved for us. My mother's faith, my father's faith, my grandparents' faith is not saving or effective for me. My wife's faith doesn't save me. My faith does not save her, nor does it save our children. They must make individual choices to follow Jesus. And there have been times and places and theological traditions that have undervalued this. And they have emphasized the communal aspects of our faith. You were born into this community. You were born into this family. And so they emphasize christening at birth or child baptism or what have you. Uh, and for the purpose of, of bringing people into the communal expression of the church. The problem is, is that we have an individual saving faith. But the problem with that is that people from Western Protestant expressions of Christianity have tended to underemphasize, undervalue the communal, collective community aspects of the church. That we are not just here all on our own, but we are brought in. We are saved individually, but then we are brought into this collective and brought together. 
And it's anti-American to say that. Americanism is all about individuality, independence, personal independence, personal freedom, and everything is about being separated from the control of or connection to anyone else that I don't want. But we don't get that option. Jesus brings us in and he makes us part of his church. And we look over there and says, hey, that person's part of the church. Do I have to be connected to them? And God says, yes, they're mine too. And they're your brother. They're your sister. You're connected with them and you will be for all eternity. And this communal connection is expressed here. People get really weird about the marriage analogy with Jesus and the church, and they try to personalize it in what has always been uncomfortable to me. Um, It's the marriage between Christ and the church collectively. I don't think you or I are going to literally get married to Jesus, but as a collective expression, the Bible does describe Jesus as taking his bride for himself And that is all through the Gospels. It is all through the rest of Scripture, this picture, this metaphor of Jesus coming and taking his bride. And the bride of Christ, the church, is described as clean and bright and pure. But here's the problem with that. We look around and we see the church and we say, it doesn't seem so clean or bright or pure to us. What's going on? What's happening? And maybe you look around the world and, 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 and say, I don't see, the way that Jesus sees the church is not the church that I see around me. And maybe you say, you know, hey, Adam, I like your Bible teaching, or, you know, Faith on Hill seems like a cool church. And I know there's some good churches around, but for the most part, this church has got this, and this church has got that, and boy, do I know it. Let me, let me say this. I think I've been pretty clear about this. I have relationships with, I think, a majority of the pastors in the area, in our community. I think I've at least met uh, all but a handful. Um, and, and those who I haven't met, it's, it's either just circumstantial, they're new to the area, and I just haven't run, run across them yet, or there are churches that do tend to be sort of isolated. And quite honestly, Faith on Hill, historically, for a, a good 20-year period, kind of was viewed that way by other churches in the area. Uh, sort of an isolated church. And uh, in the last several years, we've, we've reconnected with other churches in our area. So I say this saying that I am friends or have relationship with the majority of churches in our area. And there are churches that I do not agree with on theology. I don't agree with on style or practice. I don't agree with maybe on their general disposition, how they approach uh, the world around us in sort of a combative way versus a loving way. Or they approach the world around us in what we might call a a compromising way uh, versus a um, truthful way biblically. And yet I think that a lot of them, you know, there's good intentions, there's purity of of what they're trying to accomplish. And I want to believe the best. And so, yes, Jack? Um, I I texted them that you were. And so I want to say, and so I want to say, hey, just so you know, like I, I have good things to say about so many churches in our area and so many churches across the world. And, you know, there's this, this thing. I was reading, um, I was reading a, an interview recently with a, um, an actor, some, somebody who was on a show, and uh, they, they were very like, okay with church and the and the interviewer was saying why are you so like 
okay with church. Church says that this thing you believe is wrong. Church, Christianity, the Bible says that this thing that's going on in your life is a sinful thing. Why is it you're so okay? And he said, well, first of all, he says, I've met people there and I know that, that, there's love and, and mercy. He, he talked about how churches in the part of America he grew up in were often, he said, even like the most conservative ones, the ones that get labeled as bad or, or hateful or whatever, he said, they're often the only voice of social justice in a community, you know, helping out the poor, uh, taking care of people in rough situations, uh, bringing shelter and grace in traumas and addictions and all of these things. And so he, he had actually had like a, a, what I thought was a fairly realistic take of things that for as bad as things can be sometimes, and if you think you know how bad things are in the church, locally, nationally, internationally, I guarantee I know more than you do. I, I, I'm not a betting man, but I think I bet, I would bet that I know more about things that are wrong with the church than you do. But I also know that Jesus is working and moving as we've been really clear especially going through Revelation, but I think really clear in general. There is this institution that's called the church, right? There might be a corporation, an organization, a nonprofit, and they're called the church. And then you find out that really it's, a, um, it's an institution like the way that Harvard is an institution. In fact, Harvard was founded as a seminary, so was uh, Duke and some of those real like, you know, blue blood East Coast schools. Um, but there's not, they're not the church. They're an institution. And they may have a seminary. And, and honestly, there, there may be, I, I don't, I'm not trying to rip on anyone's seminary, but I'm saying they may have those things. Does it mean that they're the church? No, they're an institution that has church-adjacent connections. Um, there are plenty of examples of the true church of Jesus, the family of God, Sometimes more organized, sometimes not. Sometimes the institutional church and the real church are the same things. Oftentimes it's not. But the people of God, those who have been made clean by the blood of Jesus, that's who's being talked about here. Why are they wearing these fine linens that stand for the righteous acts of God's holy people? It says in verse 8, they were given them to wear. They were given them to wear. They're bright and clean, not because of their actions, but because of faith in Jesus. And because of their faith in Jesus, they are given this cleanliness, this holiness, this purity. It was given to, it was not produced by the church. And at the same time, because Jesus works in us and the Holy Spirit is moving in us, we do, by God's grace, produce acts of righteousness, what the Bible talks about is the fruits, keeping with repentance. People who were once hateful become peacemakers. People who once harbored bitterness now are overflowing with love. People who uh, sought, you know, fighting and bickering are now, you know, people who seek healing and restoration. God is doing his work. And it, just because there are the brokenness of this world all around us, it doesn't mean that Jesus isn't active and moving and he is going to remove all of the things that aren't good and when we stand before him, we will stand solely in the righteousness produced by, in, and through him. Verse 9, Then the angel said to me, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are true words of God. This invitation is for you and for me to believe in Jesus so we might stand there on that day and not be ashamed, so that we might stand there on that day and know 
that we have been forgiven. Because here's the thing. The devastation that's coming, the judgment of God, is something that all of us have deserved. We were born sinners, and then we became sinners by action. We did the wrong things. We always deserve this judgment. But Jesus has made the way so that no one has to experience it that can be delivered from it. And it's this invitation. Blessed are those who are invited and who accept the invitation. These are the true words of God. But you say, well, aren't there all these problems? Well, look, here's John trying to worship an angel. I mean, there's always going to be problems. Jesus is the one who is taking care of that for us. And what are we being saved from? It says in verse 11, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True and with justice he judges and wages war. So his justice and his war is not corrupt, sinful, self-serving the way that humans wage war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. His name is, uh, excuse me again, his name is written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the word of God. So there's no question that this is talking about Jesus. They'll be even more clear in a minute. But here comes Jesus. And it says that he has crowns and his eyes are blazing fire. And he has a name. He's tattooed with this name that he knows. And his robe is dipped in blood. This is Jesus the conqueror. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. You don't wear your dress uniform to battle. The armies of heaven that follow him are ceremonial. They are there in procession, but they do none of the work. Coming out of his mouth, verse 15, is a sharp sword with which he strikes down the nations, and he will rule over them with an iron scepter. He treads on the winepresses of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is Jesus the conqueror coming. You know, um, one of my favorite scenes ever in any movie of all time is from Talladega Nights, you know, Ricky Bobby. And it's when they're talking about which version of Jesus is their favorite, you know. And, uh, and Ricky Bobby says, you know, I like baby Jesus, you know, dear, sweet baby Jesus in your little crib with all of your, you know, baby Jesusness and the whole thing, right? And there's this whole conversation. I remember when that movie came out that there was like, you know, cable news sort of fodder for, for debating is this movie, you know, uh, totally disrespectful to Christians or our faith. And I remember watching the movie and saying, I don't think it's disrespectful. I think it's accurate. I think most people pick and choose the Jesus that they like. I like the Jesus who's whipping people out of the temple. I like the Jesus who's forgiving everybody and never seems to judge everybody except the religious people who I don't like either. So I like that Jesus. I like the Jesus who told said, don't judge because I don't want anybody to judge me. I like the Jesus who's pacifist, who's silent before his accusers, who says, put away your sword. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. And then he goes and heals his enemy's ear. I like that Jesus. But it's not complete. Jesus is all of those things, but he is also this conqueror coming. He wages war. He's got a robe dipped in blood. He speaks and armies fall dead before him. Have the full picture of Jesus. 
Have the full picture of Jesus because the full picture of Jesus is going to challenge us. It'll challenge old and young. It'll challenge right and left. It'll challenge modern and traditional. It'll challenge those who love organized religion and those who hate it. Jesus, the full and complete Jesus, challenges all of us. And he comes in his righteousness and his purity and his holiness. And he says he's going to make things right. Why is it then that he's, he's coming out and he's striking down the nations? How does that fix anything? Doesn't violence just lead to more violence? Isn't that something that Dr. King and others said? That you know, the problem with violence is that it just creates these endless cycles of violence? Generally speaking, yes, and certainly among humanity. But there does come a point where things just have to be torn down. You can't, you can't do anything more with it. You got to just rip it out and start from scratch. Uh, sometimes, you know, whether it's um, home remodeling, gardening, whatever, like there are just times where it's like, you know what? We just have to start fresh. That's what God's doing here. And he comes. It says in verse 17 that an angel standing in the sun who cried out with a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come and gather for the great supper of God. This is different than the wedding supper of the lamb. So that you meet the flesh of kings and generals and the mighty and of horses and of their riders and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. So all of these armies that have come in opposition to God. This is the battle of Armageddon we talked about recently. They've all come in opposition to God. And this angel's crying out to the birds saying, hey, gather, gather you crows and vultures and carrion eaters and scavengers, for you will have a feast. Remember, these people who are there are there by choice. They have had chance after chance after chance to receive Jesus. They have had chance after chance after chance to repent. We have seen this. If this is your first time going through the Bible with us, just know that as we've gone through this book of the Revelation, there has been chance after chance after chance, and these people have said, no, I will not. I will follow the devil. I will follow his antichrist. I will follow his false prophet. And they meet their end, the end that they chose. It says that the beast and the great kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider of the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who had performed signs on its behalf. And with these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. And the two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. So Jesus comes back. I don't know exactly how this is going to happen, but he is going to take the Antichrist and his false prophet and they're going to throw them into this lake of fire. People think that hell is like the dominion of Satan. You know, the devil rules hell. That's how it's portrayed in comics and in movies and in cartoons and all this stuff. But it's not what the Bible says. The Bible says is that God is the ruler and creator of all things. That he is in control of even hell. And he will take these two who have deceived the world and led them into satanic rebellion and he will throw them alive into this lake of fire. We'll see them again in a few weeks. Everyone else, verse 21, were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on his horse. So Jesus just speaks and they die. And the birds gorge themselves on their flesh. Man, that sounds like a bummer. What's happening is that they are killed. Now, they will be judged later. There will become a time when all who have lived and died will be judged before God, but they're being held off in reserve. They're going to meet their end. 
these other two are just sent straight into the lake of fire. You say, man, that's a bummer, Adam. How is this making things right? How is this making things better? Again, this is an invitation. This is an invitation for us to avoid all of this, for us to be on the side, sit on those horses that come with Jesus as he comes to conquer, to ride out with him and to stand with him in his victory. Friends, know this. God loves this world. And he loves it so much that he cannot continue for the human trafficking, the corruption, the bribes, the molestation, the abuse, the inequities, all of the things. Name a sin. He can't let it continue forever. And he's given us a chance to repent, to turn. And in the right moment, in the perfect time, he will say no more. In the meantime, we have this opportunity to say, I want Jesus. I want the freedom and forgiveness and the mercy and the power that he offers. Because this world gives us nothing. But remember this. Why is it that the the chapter starts with this proclamation before it makes an invitation. Because in faith, we have to believe that this is true. If you look around the world and you say, man, it feels like faith is on the decline, secularism is on the rise, Christianity is failing, it's going down, the world is getting more corrupt, it is rejecting the Bible, it it doesn't care about Jesus, all of these things, even more so in this day that for, roughly speaking, seven years on the earth, People will reject God. They will turn to this false antichrist who points people directly to the devil. They will believe the lies of the false prophet. They will worship the image of this beast. And you might say, oh man, it seems like everything is going against God. And in faith, we believe this proclamation of victory ahead of time so that we might be delivered And we might live today in freedom so that we might be delivered from the coming devastation, but also be free of the devastation in the world around us right now. Broken lives, broken homes, broken families, broken relationships, broken cultures. Turned around and restored because people say, I want to walk in the ways of God. Friends, right now in our culture, fathers are undervalued. Uh, They are (laughs) underpresent. I, I, I was at, you know, Colton's uh, fifth grade promotion. My oldest son, he, he's going to go to middle school next year. And I was at his promotion, and there's a kid that I know who kept looking back. He was looking for his dad, and his dad never showed. And I, there's reasons why we know that that was what was going on, but so broken for him. And Angie and I both made a point to just go up and can just say, good job. You know, we wanted to affirm him and... His dad wasn't present. He kept looking. He was hopeful, expecting. He wasn't there. So on this Father's Day, fathers who are praying for your kids, who are loving your wives, uh, grandfathers who are trying to serve and support, keep going. It may feel like nobody else sees what's going on, but God knows and he sees and he hears your prayers. Mothers, who are standing in the gap when fathers aren't present, God sees you. Children who are the the victims, innocent victims of, of broken homes and families, God heals. We've seen this time and time again where God heals lives who grew up in brokenness and then forges them into something new and whole and healthy. 
There's a proclamation. We believe it. There is an invitation. We accept it and we invite everyone to accept it. And there is a coming devastation. And we see the beginnings of it all around us. But we know that it doesn't have to be this way because Jesus has made the better way. He has made the right way. And it is a way that is open to any and all who will believe, old and young, right and left. Doesn't matter your race, your ethnicity, your sexual situation. Jesus is offering salvation to you and inviting us like we said last week. Come out of this world, my people. Don't share any longer in its sins or in its plagues and come into my kingdom and be part of my family and enter into the rest I have prepared for you. And we believe that is true and it is right. In the name of Jesus, we celebrate, rejoice, we shout, and we pray. Amen. My chains are gone. I've been set free.